Nation, and welcome into a special edition of the Preview in the Pokes podcast. I'm your host, Josh Criswell, joined as always by David Graff, and we've got a lot to get into. It's finally that time of year. March Madness has arrived. Cowboys had a little bit of a skid to close out the season, lost four out of six games, but came up with a huge overtime win over Fresno State. Give them a little bit of momentum heading into Vegas this week as they get ready to open up the conference tournament against UNLV in UNLV's house. Obviously going to be a different scenario than last time, not as much of a home court advantage. But, you know, just looking back real quick and I guess looking ahead, David, what was the thing that stood out to you the most about the way the Cowboys closed the season and what lies ahead for them in this first matchup? Obviously, it was not the close to the season that you want. You want to peak in March, and the Cowboys are certainly at this point not peaking. Now, obviously, there is time to course correct, but I think it was important to beat Fresno State in Laramie in that final game. You know, Orlando Robinson was somebody that I was worried about all year. Frankly, I was worried about the Cowboys going up against him. He was an absolute terror against Coach Linder's teams last year. Obviously, that was before Graham E.K. entered the equation, but the way they handled Fresno State, I think it says a lot. Fresno State is a good team, despite what their record might say. They're not necessarily a great team, but it it was the close that you wanted, you know, an emphatic victory at home, even if it took overtime, the fact that you have that, you know, pick me up heading into Vegas, I think is really crucial. What, what about you, Josh? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it was big, obviously, from a momentum standpoint, but probably more than anything from an NCAA tournament outlook standpoint. I think that's the biggest thing to come out of that one. And man, was it close. They were sitting there and, you know, Hunter Maldonado steps the free throw line with one line working, uh, missed one, I think, a couple minutes before and, you know, came through in the clutch with 0.2 seconds on the clock took care of business in OT. Um, You know, what really impressed me in that, honestly, was the play of Hunter Thompson down the stretch. You know, they rolled him out in the starting lineup, and I I really liked what they did. And obviously, Orlando Robinson finished with like 35 points, was out of this world. You know, there was a scout for the uh, Orlando Magic sitting about 10 feet from me during the game. But it it was – I was impressed with how they finished it. You know, Hunter Thompson held him to five points in overtime, drew that huge charge. And, you know, as as good as he was, it – took him about 35 minutes to get anything going near the basket it seemed like you know he he got rolling in that second half but early on it seemed to be you know three pointers grabbing an offensive board or maybe off a pick and roll but you didn't see Orlando Robinson obviously he got to that point in the game especially when the fouls started flying in the second half but I thought all in all they did a pretty good job on their post defense Graham EK did a great job of keeping him away from the basket so I thought that was really good to see um just because I think that's one area where people, you know, might have a little bit of concern just from a size standpoint, you know, EK as dominant as he is, is only six foot nine. And a lot of times is the only post guy that sees the floor in significant minutes. So, you know, having him play really well in the defensive end and then having Hunter Thompson step up in the clutch was huge, but, you know, just from an NCAA tournament standpoint, I think it was big because, you know, not only do you kind of get that bad taste out of your mouth and, you know, five losses in seven games, 
games is a, is a tough pill to swallow if you're an NCAA tournament selection committee member. But now you look at it, I mean, you have two teams in Fresno State and Utah State, top 65 in Ken Palm's rankings. Wyoming swept both of them now. So I think that's big just, um, you know, more than anything, just kind of getting the monkey off your back. I think definitely a win would help a lot. I, I think they should be in uh, regardless unless some crazy things happen in the other conference tournaments. But, you know, I think one win is a must if you're trying to get out of one of those first four games. I think you just – you want to beat UNLV because you lost to them earlier this season. And that's the kind of thing, if you are going to make the NCAA tournament, you want a win over a team that has recently just beat you. And UNLV, frankly, they beat the Cowboys. There was nothing – that really there was no moment in that game where it felt like this could go either way. UNLV just took it from them down the stretch. They showed them, you know, what they were made of. So I think it's important for the Cowboys to kind of show them what, what they're made of. And you want that, you want that feeling heading into a potential NCAA tournament berth. What let's just go straight to that game. You know, that's who they're going to take on in the first round in the Mountain West tournament, what what do you think they might do differently this time? Or, you know, what, what are you thinking heading into this matchup against UNLV in Las Vegas? Yeah, you know, I think one thing, and it's something that Jeff Linder alluded to in his press conference earlier today on Monday, but, uh, you know, I think a big thing is just having time to scout your opponent. They didn't get that luxury, um, you know, on the defensive end. They did a really good job on Bryce Hamilton, you know, one of his least efficient performances of the season, and that's the Mountain West leading scorer that we're talking about. But a lot of other role guys just kind of stepped in and killed him, you know, whether it was off the bench, um, you know, or giving up threes to the big guys. So I think the biggest thing is just getting a chance to, you know, fully dive in and figure out a way, you know, not just on the defensive end, because I thought all in all, they did pretty strong there, uh, being able to contain Hamilton to what they did. But I think just getting it going on the offensive end, if I'm not mistaken, that that game was their lowest points per possession of the entire season, um, unless I'm getting that mixed up with one of these other ones in the late stretch. But I mean, it was it was not a good offensive performance. A lot of missed open shots. Uh, I think, you know, that's one of those where if you're not coming off of three or four games and however many days it was, I think you probably hit a hit a few more of those open threes. And then maybe it's, you know, has a little bit more of a lean in your favor down the stretch. Cause there were a few moments where, you know, they had good offensive possessions and then the guys they got it to on the wing just couldn't knock it down. So, you know, I think the big thing is finding ways to attack them and finding ways, you know, just to get Graham EK going. Um, maybe he'll get a few more foul calls this time around, you know, just with it not being the home court advantage, uh, so to speak. But uh, it's going to be big. I think that's the number one key for them on offense against UNLV is just finding a way to get EK going because they didn't really double team him that much. And if they do that again, that's generally a recipe for EK to go off for, you know, 25 points and 15 boards. So I think that's really it is maybe you look at them, look at some of the holes in that defense and the way that they're guarding both him and Maldonado. But I think first and foremost, just got to get EK rolling in this one. No doubt, Graham E.K. has the last couple games here down the stretch. He certainly hasn't looked as comfortable as he has throughout the season, whether that is, you know, teams figuring out ways to 
seemingly guard him a little uh, a little tighter and not necessarily get the calls that he's accustomed to or the fact that you know he's just worn down it's been certainly a lot of games in a lot of, in not very many days here as well as you know he played 12 games last year and we're working our way over 30 here and college basketball is certainly a different grind than what I'm sure a lot of these guys are accustomed to. So I think getting him comfortable is an important part of the game because he doesn't have to score the basketball in order to make the biggest impact because he draws so much attention and is a pretty good passer that when he makes those passes off off double teams to open guys, guys have to knock down shots. In that UNLV game, I'm looking at the box score here and Jeremiah Oden and Xavier Ducell both played north of 20 minutes and they put up goose eggs in the scoring column. That's something that is not, not a recipe for winning. And it's certainly not a recipe for winning on the road, which despite what anybody will tell you, this is going to be a road game on Thursday. It's going to be a, a neutral game in the overall grand scheme of things, but I'm sure it's going to feel like a road game with UNLV. You know, they don't have to travel. They are just coming off a win over the Cowboys when they maybe looked like maybe made the Cowboys look as low as they've looked all season. I just, I think that in order to come away with a victory in this one, you know, some of the other guys are going to have to shoot, the way that they did against Fresno State, like Xavier Ducell and and uh, Jeremiah Oden. Sorry, excuse me. I can't remember anybody's name, but uh, Jeremiah Oden and Xavier Ducell bounced back in the Fresno game, putting up 35 combined between those two after laying goose eggs in Vegas. So if we see that kind of performance this time around in Vegas, I think – we're you're writing a whole different story on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the role guys are going to be key, and I, I've been interested to see them kind of shuffle these lineups down the stretch because it's they have so many different combinations they can throw at you. You know, with Thompson, Wenzel, uh, Ducell, you know, whoever they decide to roll with off the bench. So it's uh it's going to be interesting to see that. But you know, for me, I, I think another thing that's going to really kind of tell the story of how the Cowboys perform perform in this Mountain West tournament is how the officiating goes. I mean, they're a team that puts the pressure on the officials probably more than anyone else in the league. Um, you know, with Graham E.K., I know that there's been a lot of belly aching about him getting too many foul calls and things like that from some people. But, you know, if you look at it and you're actually watching the game, the dude can get a foul called, you know, against him, you know, as far as the defender, you know, he could be picking up a foul almost every single time Graham Ike gets the ball in the post. He just, there's so much contact. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, if Wyoming's able to get the foul calls, which if you look at their early success, that's really the thing that drove it. And then whenever you look at some of the efficiency kind of falling off here the past few weeks, you've also seen them get into the foul line a lot less more. I mean, Graham E.K. went to the line once. Uh, I think it was against SDSU, maybe UNLV, two games in that span, only one trip to the foul line. So I, I think that's going to be huge for them, you know, as, as much as people, um, you know, might not want to put it on, you know, whether the referees are blowing the whistle or not. I mean, this is a Wyoming team that 
their star players are getting hit a lot. There's a lot of contact whenever they go to the basket. And, you know, whenever they're getting to the foul line, that's when they're able to pull away from teams. And whenever they aren't, that's where you kind of get in trouble if you don't have a third guy stepping up with a star performance. Who do you think that third guy needs to be in order to take that jump during this weekend in Vegas? I think it really comes down to who you're playing and what the matchup is. You know, I've always said that Jeremiah Oden could be the most dangerous player on the court for the Cowboys just because he's able to do so much. I mean, we saw it last week. He hit some clutch threes. He put, you know, a future NBA big man in Orlando Robinson on a poster there with one of his dunks. I mean, he's phenomenal whenever he gets rolling. So I think he could be an X factor, especially against a team that maybe has, you know, a three or four that's not as athletic, um, or maybe there's a little bit of a size advantage there. So I think he's a guy to watch. And then obviously do sell with the defense and, you know, the shooting comp combination and Drake Jeffries too. He, he just kind of has it written all over him that he could be one of those March superstars that a lot of the country doesn't hear about. And then all of a sudden he's knocking down eight threes in an NCAA tournament game. Yeah. Drake Jeffries, certainly a good name. He, he's got a good name, beautiful shot. So he's already, he's primed. He has all the ingredients to steal America's heart here this March. That's for sure. That's probably who I would say, given that he's I, – I hate to describe him as cold, but the oven hasn't been on. He hasn't been baking it from three lately, so let's, let's put it that way. I'm really excited for this Mountain West tournament. There are a lot of good teams in the conference this year, as anyone who's been following the conference all season long will tell you what – what are you most looking forward to from the Mountain West tournament outside of Wyoming? Well, selfishly, I guess from a storyline perspective, I don't think it would be – this involves Wyoming, but I don't think it, anything would be better than the Cowboys and the Rams going head-to-head for round three and the Mountain West tournament championship. But, you know, outside of those two, I'm I'm just really looking to see if any of these lower seeds can make a run and – Maybe I guess you're not going to ruin anyone's season in those top four, you know, Wyoming on the bubble a little bit. The rest of those three seem like they're pretty firmly in, but I'm interested to see who can make a run. Um, I, I don't necessarily think anyone outside of maybe New Mexico, which if you're looking at a team that could either shock somebody or lose by 30 in any given game, I think the Lobos are the prime example of that. Um, so they're a team I'm interested to watch just with the house, uh, house Mashburn duo in the backcourt. And then I'm interested to see what Fresno state can do too. You know, they're a, a really talented team and, uh, Orlando Robinson going to be playing back in his hometown of Las Vegas. So I wouldn't uh, discount the Bulldogs from making a run either. It's funny that you mentioned New Mexico there. I'm sure everybody is nervously watching to see what happens with the Lobos. I'm going on a podcast later with Jeff Grammer from uh, the Albuquerque Journal there, and I'm intrigued to see what he has uh, on the Lobos to see what his perspective has been just following them this year, considering they've been so so up and down. Just a wild ride for – Richard Patino in uh, the ABQ. So, well, any other Mountain West basketball tournament, actual tournament, actual basketball thoughts before we move into some conference awards here? 
no, nah, let's uh, let's dive right into these awards. Always a uh, sometimes controversial topic of discussion, and I think with about seven or eight <laughs> first team worthy guys, there's definitely uh, at least some people have gotten their feathers ruffled a little bit. So these are the awards given out by the media. The coaches' awards will come out on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday, and let's start with Mountain West Player of the Year. Not a terrible surprise. David Roddy from CSU. And then he headlines the first team along with Orlando Robinson, Bryce Hamilton, Graham E.K., and Hunter Maldonado. So after reading all those names, if you weren't truly, truly blessed by the Lord in your genes and got just incredible height, you're probably not making first team this year. Second team. It's not quite as tall, but it's still pretty tall. You got Matt Bradley from SDSU, Abu Kijab from Boise State, Justin Bean from Utah State, Marcus Shaver Jr. from Boise State, and Isaiah Stevens from the Rams. And then let's close it out with our third team here. Very, very dangerous New Mexico team, as we just talked about. They have two guys on the third team, Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen House, along with Grant Sherfield from Nevada, Nathan Menza from San Diego State, and Desmond Cambridge from the Wolfpack. I almost called them the Lobos because the why the conference has two teams that are the Wolves beyond me. But so... Hey, what is your biggest takeaway from any of those three teams there? Um, well, you know, I took part in this poll myself, and honestly, the uh, the top 15 guys were the same top 15 guys that I had. I think uh, first team was it to a T. Um, there's a little bit of controversy about, I guess, Matt Bradley being left off but if you look at the grand total of the season and you know even just the conference season I know Matt Bradley kind of went off these last few weeks but if you look at the the grand sum of everything I think those five guys uh, maybe earned it a notch more just throughout the course of the year even though Matt Bradley's been a stud as of late but it's a you know I can't really disagree with any of it I I thought all the awards were very um, deserving to who got them and kind of like I said, there are about, you know, seven or eight guys that could have made a case to get into that top 10. So I don't have any disagreement with any of it. I know Wyoming fans, a few of them have reached out and they're, um, you know, they obviously think that Graham E.K. should have won it over David Roddy. And it's tough. You know, for me, I was talking about it with several different people and heading into that game at CSU a couple of weeks ago, I had basically the way I had it set up was, you know, the two Wyoming guys and in in David Roddy and the top three and no one with too much separation. Uh, maybe that whoever ended up being the top guy from Wyoming would be number one. But I think that head to head matchup as well as just the efficiency that David Roddy uh, had down the stretch of the season. I think it that kind of took him over the top with a lot of guys who are really close to st- statistically. So who did you vote for for player of the year? I had uh, David Roddy. I know. Uh, I know the Wyoming fans might not love to hear it, but uh, just trying to be unbiased and, you know, look at it, you know, throughout the course of everything. And also, I think, um, you know, you, you had a little bit of a Matt Liner, Reggie Bush effect with Maldonado and Ek, um, where I think, you know, Ek was the one that got a first place vote, but I think you could have made the case that Maldo is just as important. So, I, I think that was tough. And then. 
kind of like I mentioned, there was just that head to head matchup and the way that Roddy really, you know, closed out the season strong, helped the Rams go eight and one and climb into that number two seed down the stretch. I think that was the thing that really put him over the top for me and a lot of the voters. No doubt. No doubt. David Roddy is certainly very deserving. He is an incredible player. There's no denying that despite what anybody wants to think about anybody from CSU. He's, he's a hell of a basketball player. Our other awards here, we got coach of the year, which is the only one that really frankly kind of surprised me was Leon rice from Boise state newcomer of the year, Matt Bradley. And then freshman of the year, this was kind of a given Tyson Dagenhart from Boise state Defensive Player of the Year, Nathan Menza, San Diego State. Sixth Man of the Year, Donovan Williams from UNLV. So th- th- that that closes out all of the media awards. Coach of the Year is the only one that I particularly had a bone to pick with, given that the media picked Jeff Linder and the Cowboys to finish eighth in the Mountain West this season. Now, Obviously, they didn't close the season as quite as strong as they opened the Mountain West season. But to finish fourth, four spots ahead of where they were picked, as well as to the team has certainly electrified the country all year long. They've gotten themselves featured on SportsCenter a few times. You know, they are just an absolutely incredible basketball team to watch when they're on. I frankly am surprised that Coach Linder was not Coach of the Year for the conference, especially given he has gotten some national Coach of the Year buzz, yet he can't somehow can't muster the votes to win the Coach of the Year for the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's tough and it's extremely close. I caught caught some grief from Cowboys fans as well because I released my ballot for full transparency. And I, I did have Leon Rice winning the coach of the year. And I, it's tough. Like if you look at in the long term, like the long term impact, and just turning a program around and what this means for Wyoming in the grand scheme of things, what Jeff Linder did, you know, blows away what any other coach in the Mountain West did this year. But I think for me, it was tough. I I think Linder was a clear front runner. Um, And then that two and four stretch with big games, and it was really tough. I mean, a tough schedule aside from the New Mexico loss. So it's uh, it was tough. I gave Leon Rice the nod, though, just kind of looking at everything uh, with them. You know, the first thing that stood out, whenever I was putting this together, you know, you you list your guys one through 15, and as far as who you think's, you know, most deserving of first team on down to 15. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I didn't have a Boise State player in my top eight. You know, and then you look over at the other side and Wyoming's got two of them. And that's not to discredit Boise State, but more so to just, you know, I guess speak to the the coaching job that Leon Rice did. And, you know, as even though the Cowboys did finish four spots better than they were picked, I think Boise still finished three spots ahead of where they were picked. And also you, you got to look at, you know, they had that rough start and then they give Devin Air Dutrieve the boot and they go 21 and three after that. And win their first outright championship. So it's tough. And I can, uh, I'm not going to argue against anyone naming Jeff Linder, the, uh, the coach of the year. I think whenever the mountain West 
uh, if whenever they release their awards, I think there's a good chance he could be winning that. But I think for me, for the reasons I laid out, and really I think the biggest thing for me is just the fact that as big as this turnaround is, you know, a lot of that was because of how great Maldonado and EK were and the fact that you had two first team guys. So, you know, as good as the turnaround was and, you know, as, as good, great as I think the long-term impact of you know his coaching job the past two years is going to be greater than anyone else in the Mountain West I think just looking at this year and particularly conference play it it was just a very very you know the slightest margin of a nod going to Leon for this one for me but like like I said I'm not arguing against Jeff Linder uh, for coach of the year by any means this brings me to an excellent question about the Broncos then who would you say you said that you didn't have anybody from Boise State in your top eight, but who do you feel like was the most valuable player on on their team this year? I think it's Marcus Shaver. And I mean, I had him on my third team. I had key jab at the bottom of my second team. But I think in terms of what they meant to the team, it was just, it, it seemed like every single time I turned on Boise State this year, Marcus Shaver was just hitting some shot to crush an opponent, you know, whereas he, or Kijab, he had some strong moments, but he also had some moments where I thought, um, you know, didn't necessarily rise to the occasion. I think he missed a, a few games there too, at some point, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, for me, Marcus Shaver was the most valuable, but I also think the thing that makes Boise so dangerous is that you've got about, you know, four or five guys that on any given day can step in and be your star. So that's kind of carried them so far. I'll be curious to see if that's able to last into the Mountain West tournament. I think that, uh, in my opinion, they're not my pick to win it, even though they're the number one seed. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be interesting. For me, if I'm Wyoming, I would rather face Boise State in the semifinals over CSU or SDSU, but they're, uh, they're not going to be an easy team to beat now or in the NCAA tournament whatsoever. See, this is interesting. This is where I guess maybe I've got a hot take for people. I think Tyson... Day in heart was the most important player on this team. He was somebody that could guard guys like Graham E.K., and he could also guard guys like Hunter Maldonado. He could even go out there and try to guard guys like Jeremiah Odin. And his defensive versatility, along with his occasional scoring punch, he seemed to score in bunches when I watched the Broncos play. You know, he might take over when guys – got into foul trouble, but I think he was the most important player on this team. Now, not necessarily the best. He was freshman of the year, but, and isn't on first, second or third team. But I think that when your best guy is a freshman and then you have all these other guys who are still very good basketball players contributing around him, I just, I, overall, I think, he was the most important player for the Broncos during the regular season. Whether that holds up, we shall see. But let's let's just talk about the tournament as a whole here. What do you see playing out in Vegas in the Mountain West Conference? Well, I'm going to hold off on making any predictions for it, but I, I think we're going to see, um, you know, people – that aren't fans of the favorites probably don't want to hear it, but in my opinion, it's going to be a, a pretty chalk, uh, you know, path to the finals aside from, I think Wyoming would have an edge over, uh, 
Boise State just because you look at the way that they played this year. They, you know, it was a seven-point win, I think, but they were the better team at home. Uh, you know, up at Boise, they almost pulled off a win without Xavier Ducell on the court. And then I think on a home – or, I mean, on a neutral situation, I, I really think that you got to give the Wyoming Cowboys the edge in that one. So, you know, if, if I had to make a guess, we'll be sitting here uh, – looking at a Cowboys versus Rams title game and we'll see where the cards lay. That's certainly, certainly an intriguing proposition for many people out there. Certainly very exciting. The action gets started on Thursday with the Pokes taking on UNLV at three 30. They got to get through that game before they can start worrying about anything else. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up here, Josh? Well, you know, I guess uh, with the Mountain West having the, one of the best locations for a conference tournament, I guess we can close this out, uh, you know, get a little bit away from the basketball court and, you know, dish out some Vegas advice for all of the Cowboys fans making their way on out to Sin City. So, um, you know, I'll let you go first. Do you have any, any pointers for anyone venturing out West this week? So my only pointer is if you plan on staying for more than – just thursday or if you're getting there on wednesday don't stay on the strip like you you'll wear yourself out you'll be you'll be ready to go home regardless of the outcome from the unlv game and certainly if josh's predictions come to reality and we have a wyoming csu final for the mountain west tournament and an automatic ncaa tournament bid on the line we're going to need all the Cowboy fans as fresh and ready to go as possible. So if you plan on staying more than a few days, don't stay on the strip. That's, that's my only, that's my most important advice, but I'm sure I have a few other tips, but I'll let you go ahead first. Yeah. You know, kind of going off of your point, uh, you'll definitely get strip fatigue if you're there for more than a couple of days, which I'm uh, going to be putting, putting that to the test this week, posted up at the Flamingo starting tomorrow on Tuesday, but I'm sure it'll be good, but no, just a couple of tips, as you mentioned, um, for me, get away from the strip a little bit, you know, if, especially if the Cowboys got a night game and then you've got, you know, a full day in front of you before that, you know, get you a, get you a rental car. Prices are pretty cheap in Vegas right now. And, and, you know, go take a drive out to Death Valley, go out to Zion, you know, go out and kind of enjoy the nature around it. I think, you know, especially Death Valley, that's one of my favorite places on earth. I never would have thought it until I went there for the first time. But, you know, you drive, you know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours away from Vegas and just a, a really unique environment nothing like it in the world and you'll uh this time of year you won't be you know sweating yourself to death out there in the heat so you can actually go out and enjoy it a little bit but i would say that and then another one for me especially if you're staying on the strip bring your own coffee you know whether it's a mini mini coffee make especially if you're going to be there for a few days you know mini coffee maker uh, for me if i can fit it in there might bring you know one of those electric uh, water boilers get some instant coffee action going on because the thing that I learned my first couple trips to Vegas is they don't usually keep the free coffee machines in the room. You, you have one option and that's walking down to Starbucks and paying seven fifty for a grande drip coffee. So those would be uh, my two main suggestions, you know, enjoy the outdoors, um, you know, Valley of Fire is only about 35 minutes away for those that don't want to make too much of a drive. And then also just bring your own coffee. 
Also, my, my biggest complaint whenever I go to Vegas is, and especially when there are events like this in town, so there are a bunch of people who are there together and there are a lot of people crowded up, like just keep it moving. Okay. Don't be that person who's like standing by the escalator, wait, like blocking the entrance and waiting for their like 11 other friends to stumble out of the coffee shop or the bar or wherever. Just like if you're going to stand, like make sure you're not blocking anybody's pathways like that as somebody who in his past has frequented Vegas, that's just like, it's the number one thing that gets on people's nerves. So I'll, I'll say that as well. Yeah. And, and kind of going off of that point too, if you're in one of these large groups and as can tend to happen as you inch toward the weekend in Vegas, there might be a line, you know, you might have to wait five to 10 minutes to get on that elevator going up. So if you're one of these people in a large group, don't bring your 15 friends and let them cut the whole group and then just put everybody else five minutes behind. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's part of the adventure when you go to Vegas. You just got to tough out that line. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, if you're in a big crowd, keep it moving. You know, we don't take your picture. You don't need to sit there and have a 25 minute conversation blocking up half the strip. So I think that's uh, that's good advice on your part. And I'm not saying don't take the picture. Do take the picture because this is an important moment in your life and you're going to want to remember it. Just don't be that guy who's taking, who's turning the one picture into a 35 minute, like this is a traffic stop for everybody else walking through Vegas. Cause you're not, you're not the only one there. Uh, I also will say no matter what, where you're staying, uh, the Aria is always my favorite place to gamble. It just something about it. It's got big league vibes there at the area. So if you want to feel like you're a high roller, but you're just betting like 50 cents on the slot machines, even like just something about gambling in the area. makes me feel like I'm, I'm playing with the Phil Ivies of the world, no matter what I'm playing. So that, that, that's just my suggestion there. Yeah. And then also on a basketball note, I would, uh, you know, scope it out, especially for that championship game on Saturday, scope it out and see if you can get you some tickets, maybe to that whack basketball tournament. I'm, I was looking at the brackets and if things, you know, go a certain way, it might be a, uh, you know, a Josh Chriswell special with Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin in the title game. So, but no, a lot of good teams, you know, Grand Canyon, New Mexico State, you know, SFA, Sam Houston, a lot of really good teams in that league. So if you're, uh, you know, maybe looking for a little bit of a basketball fix, you're, you know, tired of watching the Mountain West teams, you know, make your way on over across town. And I don't think you're going to be disappointed. It's another excellent point. Another excellent point from Josh Criswell because there's going to be plenty of basketball going on in Las Vegas all at the same time. So if you aren't getting your basketball fix, just do a little research and you'll find plenty of plenty of basketball to, uh, <laughs> to get your fix. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, that's all I got. You got anything else, David? Um, the only thing I will also add is that in and out is not overrated and it is in Las Vegas. So feel free to get some in and out burger as well. Not a, not a Wahlburgers guy. 
I do love Wahlburgers as well. So there are plenty of great burgers in, in Las Vegas, but if you're, if you need one really quickly in and out burger is probably the best one, especially they, I don't know. I guess I haven't been since COVID, but they had a little like stand as you were walking around on the strip. That was clutch for sure. So, uh, I, I would go there, and then if you're thinking of burger, Wahlburgers, if you've got some time, is actually it's a quite an experience and is unlike any burger that you're going to find in Wyoming, even though it is a chain as well. Dave's Hot Chicken, too. Dave's is right next to, uh, to Wahlburgers, so a nice little two-for-one if you guys want to mix and match try something a little bit different but yeah the uh one of the things i love about vegas before we get out of here though is the food selection i mean i know everyone loves it for the gambling and you know the nightclubs and all the the stereotypical things you hear but you know for me i just love the fact that you can go in and you know especially me like you know i've lived in places like chicago los angeles and i love being able to go there and my favorite restaurants from all over the world it seems like are all in one location in vegas so so, you know, you don't have to be throwing away your life sa- savings at the roulette table. You can just sit there and have a nice burger, have a nice meal and, you know, enjoy the scene. Put pen on black for me and Robert Munoz and enjoy your trips to Vegas, everybody. I've got you. That's all we got for you guys today. I'm Josh Criswell. He's David Graff. You've been listening to special edition of Preview in the Pokes as we get ready for the Mountain West Tournament. So make sure to go to yosports.net for all your coverage and go download, listen, and subscribe to the Wyo Sports Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Ride for the brand.